yeah, it's nice having what we call co-opetition, right? So sometimes we're customers, sometimes we're competitors, uh, but 100% of the time we're enablers uh, to, to help the private sector. Um, and that seems to, to prove out time and time again. Welcome again to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. Today, Chris visits with Tad Dariso, President and CEO of the Mid-Atlantic Broadband Communities Corporation, an open access network providing wholesale service in Virginia. The network has been instrumental in connecting community anchor institutions, government facilities, and local businesses. Tad offers some history on the organization's business model, describes some of the challenges they've faced, and shares lessons learned. You can find out more about MBC's network and their history at mbc-va.com. Now here are Chris and Tad. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm talking with Tad Dariso, the president and CEO of the Mid-Atlantic Broadband Communities Corporation. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, let me ask you first, where do you operate? And then uh, not everyone knows what the Mid-Atlantic is. And then why don't you tell us more about your organization, the MBC? Yeah, so we're a uh, 501c4 nonprofit organization, uh, own and operate a uh, kind of a large advanced uh, open access wholesale network in southern Virginia. Uh, so basically on the east coast of the U.S., uh, we cover about 26 counties uh, where our network stretches uh probably 1,600, 1,700 miles to date, route miles, uh, and providing wholesale transport, exciting layer one services to uh, carriers, ISPs, cable companies, uh, all that good stuff. So we're in the in the wholesale business, and uh, as our day job, we're uh, in essence an economic development engine uh, for our region of the state, uh, really using this network to promote uh, our availability of uh, advanced workforce, uh, all the great things we have going on with data centers and other companies now um, looking to make those investments. And that's, uh, uh, interestingly enough, an open access network is a key driver for that. So we're um, glad to see that vision coming to reality. And about how many providers do you have on the open access network? Yeah, we work with 45 companies today. Uh, that is everybody from uh, Level 3 to Verizon Business, your your big billion-dollar companies, uh, all the way down to some regional providers like Lumos and Shintel um, and even some small ISPs, basically mom-and-pop uh, wireless ISPs that uh, do a great deal of service to really help extend that broadband to those areas that you know, don't have it, really have no options other than dial-up or satellite. Uh, and that's becoming a... Um, big way to, to help encourage that in the region. Our, our listeners have heard an interview or two with uh, Danville, um, but I, I want to make sure people have a real sense of what is it like in Southern Virginia from an internet access point of view? Pretty incredible when you look at the numbers and access. Uh, so Danville has a fabulous network. Uh, they built uh, several years ago and utilized the MBC network to tie into, you know, the major peering exchange where they can uh, access high-speed uh, IP transit and, and all that good stuff. Uh, what's really interesting, Chris, is the change of pricing, uh, both on the capacity side and the pricing side. Uh, ISPs that used to only have access for T1s or DS3s, and again, those range from $1,500 a month to $16,000 a month to get their 
basically their connection to the outside world. Uh, now, uh, because our network's built, we've had operations. We're on net at two of the largest peering exchanges in the East Coast, uh, Ashburn, Virginia, the Equinex facility, and uh, Telex down in Atlanta at 56 Marietta Street. That's just provided a uh, massive uh, change in the economy of what is available, uh, both on the pricing and the uh, availability. So just to give you an idea, uh, price per megabit people can access at those internet peering points for probably a dollar, two dollars per megabit, um, and that's on a gigabit level. Uh, and when you add the cost of transport in there, uh, people are able to get you know full gigabit transport connections from four to six dollars per meg, uh, and that really flips the uh, economics model when you talk about the enterprise customer in our region, what are they able to get out of that? Uh, and that's really turning the tables on uh, having those companies access providers with big pipes at a lower cost and driving all kind of um, new products and services in the, in the region. So we're really, really excited about that. You started off life with a as a co-op. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the funding that that allowed you to get started? Sure. Uh, when we first started as a cooperative, uh, we had some funding we applied for from the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, Economic Development Administration. Again, this was remember back in 2003, 2004, but even before BTOP was a dream. <laughs> uh, and the Commerce Department, uh, through a lot of political support here in Virginia. Um, provided $6 million of matching funds uh, to, in essence, extend an open access fiber backbone to the industrial parks in southern Virginia, about, I think it was around 350 miles for that first build. Uh, we had matching funds that we applied for and were awarded uh, from the Virginia Tobacco Commission. And that's basically a quasi-state entity that uh, manages the proceeds from the tobacco settlement, master settlement agreement, back in the early 2000s, and they you know, invest in economic development projects and all different kind of things. So uh, that first $12 million was, in essence, the start of NBC. Uh, we formed ourselves in uh, January of 2004. Uh, grants came soon after that, and then uh, started building the, building the network. And then you ultimately decided to transform from being a co-op into a, a different kind of nonprofit. Uh, what, what drove that change? Yeah, so it's a, a really interesting uh, transformation in our in our business. Really, our our mission didn't, has not changed. The the passion of keeping our local communities, supporting our local communities, never changed. Uh, what was problematic in the cooperative model where we had uh, was the fact that in a co-op uh, you have to do certain things to maintain that tax exempt status which was to have members of your cooperative on your board of directors. Um, you needed to make sure that earnings or sometimes they call that excess revenues, uh, those are applied as capital credits and paid back to your members, which is basically a dividend. Uh, those two things were very problematic for us because although we had members on our board of directors, they were not members that actually used a service. They were not uh, broadband providers. Uh, they were independent, you know, business people, economic development professionals, uh, philanthropists, uh, attorneys, and basically that gave us a really easy way to make sure that there was not a conflict of interest if we were to have a small ISP or a regional provider or a billion-dollar telecom corporation on our board of directors. All of a sudden, 
people have access to things that some of their other competitors don't. And that was extremely problematic uh, from a governance perspective uh, for us. So we really didn't have an interest in, in having telecom members uh, on our board of directors. Uh, and the, the other part of that was dividends when we actually started being very successful and having a lot of revenue come in and excess earnings and found that that's fabulous. We keep reinvesting that in the business, but as a co-op, that money isn't really yours. You have to pay that back to the members. And we would then be in violation of our grant agreements uh, if we were to write a check to our private sector telecom providers, uh, which our grants specifically say that we're not allowed to inure benefit to any private sector corporation uh, individually as a result of the grant. <laughs> so working through our consultants at KPMG and talking to the IRS, uh, made the decision to transform from a C12 into a 501C4. Uh, got that through in retroactive status, and, and all things are great now. So I can imagine that there was some frustration where you're you're sitting in the office thinking, you know what, I just want to figure out how to get more fiber to more businesses, more anchor institutions, and do this. I don't want to be figuring out how to play around with tax laws to make sure <laughs> that I'm not you know violating any of these grant agreements and this and that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's very challenging. You know, we, we focus on doing our mission every day, and then we, we have things thrown at us that, well, where did that come from? So, um, but yeah, that's all part of, you know, good governance and uh, transparency and things we have to do to, to keep the organization moving. So Right. So one of the things that I, I was interested in, I mean, I've been following your work at NBC for a number of years, um, and, and I recognize that you guys have done a wonderful job at, at dealing with the middle mile problem, but I learned that you're looking in, in Martinsville with uh, some sort of partnerships and other approaches to try and, and help them solving more of the last mile problem. So I'm wondering if you can tell us more about that. Uh, so it's a really interesting scenario. We are a middle mile network, uh, but we do extend fiber to individual businesses or schools or you know cellular towers. Uh, so in essence, we have that last mile connection. The difference in our business model is we do not serve those companies directly, right? So uh, we don't provide the retail service. Uh, Martinsville was really interesting because uh, just a few months ago, uh, we had an announcement, a, a company based in the United Kingdom, a company called Hardide Coatings, uh, decided to look at establishing a East Coast presence um, manufacturing uh, facility and uh, did a lot of searching and ended up in uh, looking at Martinsville. One of their big concerns that they communicated to the locality was they basically wanted to manage and control all of their processes and network facilities in Martinsville, Virginia from their facility in the UK. So they were concerned about, you know, this is not something you put on DSL or cable modems or definitely not a wireless network. Um, wanted to make sure that there was fiber, we could have direct access into their cloud provider, which is an international company. Uh, work with them through some of our customers and came up with a solution that worked. And they were just fascinated that an NBC really doesn't exist over in the UK, but the fact that we could extend a fiber to their uh, business, uh, and then they can have their choice of 45 different providers. Uh, and it was not a an issue of who owns the fiber and how much they have to pay and all these kind of things. We do that as an incentive. So we extended a fiber lateral at no cost to them. That basically gives them the on-ramp to our network, and uh, they ended up uh, after some research working with one of our customers to uh, to get a 100 megabit connection 
up to Northern Virginia, which ties into their cloud provider. Um, so those kind of things are really driving the bus, so to speak, when it comes to economic development. And as a growth to that, uh, we looked at Martinsville really as a unique ecosystem. It's still a very difficult place economically in the in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, I think the unemployment rate is still around 10%. Uh, state is around, I think, 45 to 5%. Uh, so just gives you some indication of that. Uh, so we're playing around with an idea to say, hey, what would happen if we had an open access fiber connection at every single business uh, and help the uh, also address the residential side, which we've traditionally not done through partners and other companies we're working with that do have an interest in that? Uh, would it make sense that we could facilitate some type of project and see what happens? Uh, so those are some of the initiatives we're working on in, in Martinsville to see you know, what happens if you can get everybody connected uh, and then allow that, you know, service to, to come on board and, and do some unique and creative things. It's one thing to say, you know, yeah, we'd like to have a connection to, to every house and business. But typically the the capital costs of building that are so prohibitive that uh, it doesn't happen. And so I'm curious if there's anything that, that you can share with us as to, you know, how uh, you can lower the costs enough to make it happen. The really interesting part is there is some density uh, within the city of Martinsville and Henry County. So you do have some, you know, some stretches where you may only have, you know, one or two homes every mile. Uh, but in a preponderance of where things are, and especially in the business parks, uh, you do have quite a bit of density that can that can make things happen. So uh, this group that we're talking with has some unique construction methods uh, to be able to to do some things, and we're anxious to see about putting that into into place and see how that works. So, uh, yeah, that's always the challenge, right? The capital cost uh, to get it built, uh, and then really long term is well, what's the operational cost to to keep the stuff running that you just built? Uh, and that is uh, really something that a lot of people forget to look at when they are building networks. You know, a lot of times getting money is easy; it's the recurring money that's a little tougher. Even in our perspective, uh, with our mission, it's easy enough for us to to come in there and you know we're managing a, a very very large network, and then to manage a network that has a bunch of connections to businesses and and homes, and working with our local partner, the city of Martinsville, there, um, you know, is a way to way to keep the keep the ball rolling and uh, hopefully make it make sense. One of the things that I I suspect you have going for you is that. Um, because of your actions and the city of Martinsville and, and Henry County, uh, every community anchor is already connected to uh, the publicly owned or else the, the, the MBC owned um, middle mile open access network. And so you have revenues from all of the anchor institutions that are now being able to ultimately not just pay for the existing network, but then to be reinvested in expanding the network. And I'm, I'm curious if you can speak to how important it is to be able to take the anchor institution revenue and to be able to reinvest that. Uh, yeah, very critical. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the city of Martinsville is 
Uh, we actually don't have our own fiber to every school in the city. Uh, the city of Martinsville has their own fiber network called MyNet, uh, basically a smaller version of what Danville has done. Um, and that's been a, a great resource for the city to, to do all that. Where we come into play is we basically connect the city to the outside world and have revenue from that. So it's a nice little partnership. We've done joint builds with the city uh, where they own half the fiber, we own half the fiber, do some unique things with pole attachments and the ability to, whether it's community anchors or businesses or cell towers uh, in a region, be able to kind of gather up that revenue and reinvest it in new projects or continuing to uh, to pay for your existing projects really important uh, type of things and we've because we're our scope is so large with 26 counties uh, has really able enabled us uh, to do some creative things with those excess earnings and excess revenues that we have because uh, you know, as you know as a nonprofit we don't have shareholders we don't have owners uh, we basically plow every penny we make uh, back into the network, back into uh, marketing our region for economic development. And, yeah, we're starting to see some some good things happen in Martinsville for that. Well, let me ask you as a final question. You know, you, you built your network um, with uh, with sort of one-time monies, and, and you've obviously done a tremendous job of turning that into a sustainable enterprise. Um, what advice might you have for others that have started maybe 10 years after you with the BTOP programs, for instance? A lot of them started with uh, one-time money. They have middle-mile networks, and they ultimately want to enable more last-mile connections. So do you have any, any advice for them as someone who's been there? Yeah, be very strategic about your uh, your thoughts about outsourcing. Uh, you know, when we first started, even though we had a $12 million grant, uh, we had uh, two employees, myself and an administrative assistant. Uh, we we were very lucky to partner with some uh, great companies that had resources, and as we continued to grow over time, uh, we added staff to be able to help that, but again, not adding, you know, much more staff than we could Tracking revenues and expenses is really critical because once that grant money runs out uh, and those fees to recoup project management fees, uh, that does become very difficult. So I'd say take a look at uh, your creative way to outsource things, uh, partnering with other people that are already doing this instead of recreating the wheel yourself uh, is usually a good way to, to think about that. Um, and you know, just becoming a partner with those those providers, uh, we've really been able to grow this network without a dedicated sales force. Uh, we're now at about eight and a half million dollars a year of top line revenue from zero in 2004. But the reason we did that because we embraced the private sector telecom providers who used our network to get to these locations. And again, our our secret sauce of our success was staying true to that wholesale mission. Uh, and that's really helped because we, we've got basically 45 customers out there uh, selling our network. Uh, they know where we are. They know that we're a great diverse network from the incumbent providers. We obviously do things uh, a lot differently than the big telcos because we can. You know, Sticking that wholesale model really helped to enable that and help the private sector really ramp up their use of the network and is creating new projects every day. So, Thanks. And one actually question just popped into my head. I feel like there's a different 
reaction from incumbents uh, in that incumbents are generally more willing to use an open access middle mile network than they are a, an open access last mile network. And I'm, I'm just curious if you've seen any evidence that as you move closer to the customers and actually may threaten the de facto monopoly that some companies may have, that they've been less enthusiastic or given you a different reaction or anything like that. Uh, somewhat. Uh, you know, it's always interesting that uh, we have companies, they come to us and say, hey, we need, you know, 50 megs of internet or I need to get to XYZ data center. Uh, and they'll ask our customers for, for quotes. And we'll <clears throat> we'll send that out. Um, it doesn't happen too often, but at sometimes uh, we'll send that out to our customers and that customer has fiber nearby and they may, may use us for a part of the connection, but they can build in and, in essence, own that connection to the end customer. Uh, so that last-mile connection is always something the private sector guys want to own because that gives them a little bit of control over the customer. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if a company wants a connection through our network uh, using a provider, they can get that at a price point that makes sense and it's competitive. Uh, it proves out on the ROI model. So, so a, a, a provider may build their own fiber, think they have a monopoly, but we've gone in many times, whether it's a, a cell tower or an existing business, uh, and where it again, where it hits our return on investment model, uh, we can extend that open access fiber, and then it's then it's open for everybody. So, um, yeah, we we've seen a little bit of pushback back and forth, but. You know, interestingly enough, Verizon's one of our largest customers. Uh, we do a lot of work with the cable companies, uh, have enabled them to do a lot of good things. So, yeah, it's nice having what we call co-opetition, right? So sometimes we're customers, sometimes we're competitors, uh, but 100% of the time we're enablers uh, to, to help the private sector. Um, and that seems to, to prove out time and time again. Excellent. Well, based on your advice, I was thinking uh, to the BTOP in the, a couple minutes ago, I was thinking that you're kind of a lean and mean operation, but you're really a lean and nice. You know, you're a lean and community thinking organization. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, so uh, we have 15, 15 people on staff now full time. Uh, of course, a lot of uh, outside contractors for you know construction and design and permitting and, and all those kind of things. But yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing to, to see it grow and continue to, to thrive and at the end of the day, helping our mission, which is improving rural Virginia. Excellent. Well, thank you for telling us more about the NBC. You bet. Thank you, Chris. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thank you to Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. Have a great day.